0: An action-packed Inside the Ropes today, a new home for Australian golf, the PGA Tour is back, a couple of great grassroots stories from around the country, and the people's champ Mark Allen drops by for a very moving chat. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au.
2: Get everybody. It's Inside the Ropes, episode number 168. Great to have you with us. Uh, very much looking forward to today's chat. Uh, we're going uh, back to the grassroots to find out what people are doing in, in their neck of the woods to make uh, the whole f- sort of process of playing golf a bit easier for people around them. We'll, we'll catch up with a boy called Daniel Beard um, from Cobden a bit later on. Mark Allen's going to join us, and I know for Mark Hayes, that's like a big-game fisherman who uh, <laughs> has been chucking the line out in the warm waters of far north Queensland for a long time without getting a marlin. And it shouldn't have been that hard, Hazy, but Marco's been a bit difficult. but We finally got him. I'm looking forward to catching up with him.
0: Yeah, through no fault of his own. I mean, it's just been circumstances that have prevented it. But, yeah, we're, yep. we're wrapped to have him. And, I, honestly, I can't wait to speak to him because I in, in preparing for it, um, hearing his voice from someone who's had a stage four cancer from at the bottom of the barrel, his voice sounded hollow and empty. Now to hear the life in his voice. I, I was wrapped yesterday talking to him and I can't wait to talk to him later on. Terrific. Stacey Peters joins us again. Stace,
2: good to see you.
1: Hey, thanks boys. Back to back weeks for me. I'm uh, just wrapped to be invited again.
2: Back due to popular demand, I think it <laughs> is, Stace. That's what it's all about. I I'm so, going to say that, but it's a, it's a good week to have you two together again um, with the Australian with the development of the Australian Golf Centre and everything that that potentially means um, and, and from a realistic perspective means to Australian golf. So uh, one of you take it away and to, between the two of you, t- tell me why this is uh, a significant development for golf in this country.
1: Yeah, so the Australian Golf Centre that you're talking about there, Andy, um, yeah, I was lucky enough actually to go down there last week and really check it out, check out the practice facilities, which have been open now um, just for the VIS um, athletes at the moment. Um, But it really is a world-class facility that they're able to, um, to use now, like massive pitching area, putting green, chipping green, driving range where they can, you know, you can hit every different shot under the sun, it's not necessarily going to be where all, you know, technology and stuff is um, not at this point, um, but like practice wise and stuff, is absolutely world class. And then I guess, you know, even more exciting that um, they've started the building of the uh, the facility and where the, I guess you say, the headquarters are going to be down the track. Um, and I think that's the exciting part as well to see, you know, with Golf Australia in uh, with the PGA as well, um, yeah. going to be based there down the track.
0: Yes. It's going to be outstanding. Um, I guess base of unification for one of us. That's a terrible phrase, but you know what I'm getting <laughs> yeah. at. It. I know exactly, yeah. you yeah. yeah, yeah. It's 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 the spot that actually provides the chance for us to be one down the mm-hmm. track. Um, so the PGA will move there, Golf Australia will move there. Elements that exist still of Golf Victoria will will move there. Um, but more than that, it's a place where PGA pros can go and get their accreditation to coach people with a disability. It's a public driving bay. It's still going to be an 18-hole Sandringham Golf Links as we've come to know it and love it. It's some of the best golfing land in the world. No, There's no question about that. Um, it's still going to be public. While it's going to be a headquarters, it's still going to be public as well. Uh, and, you know, it, it's going to be epic. It couldn't, be, it couldn't have been done without, um, obviously, a lot of finance from the Victorian government. But to have that base that we can all, um, you know, come back to and, and, and attack the world from, I think, um, it's going to be epic for golf in Australia.
1: And I think even even with the course as well, guys, like it's going to be such a great sort of – yes, I think it's going to be still world-class, like a, a mini Royal Melbourne, I would say, but not as demanding as that. It's still going to – yes, it is going to be public, but I think it's what's going to be great about it is it's not a massively long course. It's going to be great for getting people into golf. Um, I was even taking note as I was out there, like there's so many – Yes, there are the difficulties on the greens and stuff, but the ability to run the ball up the front. Like for, I actually played with two beginners out there yesterday and it was awesome. Like it was really – so I really think they've done it well for that purpose. Yeah. So
0: for those listening around Australia, Andy, you aren't aware where Sandringham Golf Links is. It's directly over the road from the 18th fairway at Royal Melbourne East and across the other side of the, of the road is the Victoria Golf Club. And it is in the Mecca. Of Australian golf. So, um, you know, this is a pure spot. So there were,
2: there's half a dozen holes on Sandy. Correct me if I'm wrong, Stace, but there's half a dozen holes on Sandy that used to be Royal Melbourne golf holes. So exactly. we're talking about, you know, we're talking about elite golf course design. And just then, and, and now that we've got this facility based there, there'll be probably just a bit more energy and resource put into the golf course, just, just to bring it up five, just to dial it up five or 10%. Um, what a, what a what a public facility and what an opportunity. I, there'll be times, I guarantee you, there'll be times in the not too distant fu- distant future when you book, you know, eleven thirty five tea time for you and three of your mates, and you head down there, and the group in front of you or the group behind you are going to be some of the most elite, talented junior, amateur, emerging pro players in Australia. They'll 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 be at the practice facility. And go, Let's go and play nine holes and. You'll get a chance to to
0: be playing on the same golf course as some of these, but which is going to be great, I reckon. And the pros as well, Andy. Yeah, it's you know the with the PGA there, you know, there's there's every reason for the best pros in Australia to be there, um, to come and not just the touring pros, but the vocational pros as well. Uh, this really, I reckon, if we, if we give it a chance collectively, I think it's going to be just fantastic. And you know, it's really important that we um, you know approach the the public side of this really boldly as well i mean this this is a course that actually gave me as a country victorian by birth my chance to experience a sandbelt layout mm. when i was a kid i mean this is, this is where it is you go there and you could play and that's not going to change um it's going to be really important because it's not just for the big wigs and it will be it'll actually bring real golf back to golf australia and the pga and their staff too
1: yeah like you mentioned on the uh the public side of things there hazy like it is such a popular club like they only have the nine holes open right now but when they when sandy closed like during the covid period and then reopened within like the first hour of bookings they were booked like 13 days in advance from first tea time to last tea time so it's pretty impressive
2: yeah no it's look it's a it's a massive step forward in the right direction obviously when will what's the um,
0: timeline on the headquarters being finished do we do we know uh, I think it's around about eighteen months it's it's uh sorry no, not even that long it's probably middle of middle to late next year so um there's the the course aspects of the course uh already done as stay says a bit more will be done before Christmas this year um but then the building itself will probably sometime in the middle of twenty twenty one you know depending on everything going smoothly of course and COVID restrictions et cetera but um I think it's it you know it stands to it really stands to Change the way we approach golf in this country. I can't say that about too many things.
2: Yeah, well, let's get let's get really hopeful about it. I think so. Um, uh, that's something to look forward to. Uh, we got back to golf. We got the chance to sit down and watch some you know proper tournament golf on the weekend. It was still a bit odd. No galleries, you know, no people lacked you know sort of the the requisite energy that you know live sport needs to be ultimately as compelling as you want it to be. Uh, the the red-hot start, the red-hot role that Australia was on pre-COVID-19 uh, disappeared in a... It was like somebody took the plug out of the out of the bath and whooshka down the plug hole we went. It wasn't uh, what a great weekend for the Australians who teed up on the two tours. We did
1: have to scroll a fair way on the leaderboard, didn't we, boys?
0: Oh, yeah. Just to, but to find Matt Jones as the only Aussie to make the cut um, was... Had an added bonus, even though he wasn't near the top end, in you know, that you did get to see an image of him with the, one of the greatest beards you've ever seen. The, uh, He's had a go. Dual was the Open champion. I love saying that about him now. Um, one of the all-time ISO beards. Like, absolutely epic. Big, lustrous, greying. It was everything you want an ISO beard to be. So, 13 Australians teed it up
2: on the PGA and the Corn Ferry. Only two made the cut. Matty Jones tied thirty-eight. Uh, at the Charles Schwab and Jamie Arnold tied 46 uh, on the Corn Ferry. So not a not a great weekend. But this, a, hole, um, a hole in one for Curtis Luck on the Corn Ferry. I neglected to mention that and I'm glad you did. So, And he got himself into a position after a couple of rounds to be right in the mix and unfortunately couldn't put the four rounds together. But there's a long way to go, obviously, and this has been an odd year. So we'll we'll wait and see how everybody sort of plays their way out of this stuff. It's um Colin Morikawa now. I know Daniel Berger wins the tournament. He's got an unbelievable record now. That's developing through the middle parts of June. He's won three times on the PGA Tour, and all of them of all the wins have come in either the second or the third week of June. So um, the middle of the year for Daniel Berger is a time to take note. Um, that's that as an aside. But Morikawa, uh, who's going to be, uh, uh, he'll be kicking himself from here to tomorrow missing that the way he played the playoff hole was horrific. Misses the fairway with a five iron, you know, has to scunge it up short of the bunker out of the out of the ankle-deep rough, and then misses, I don't know, what was it? A will say a three-foot putt. 3-4. 3-4, yeah. yep. yep. In. Uh, Six inches for Clates. Yeah, well, well, I'm generally the one saying it's closer and Clates is the one generally saying, no, no, you're kidding yourself. It was twice as far as that. But this kid has played 25 times as a pro. He's missed one cut. He's up to number twenty seven in the world. Yeah. And he could fan he can stand up in your porridge. And most people <laughs> wouldn't know who he is, but <laughs> agree, agree. He is a
0: hell of a player, this kid. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's becoming more than Wolf, even the stand up uh, um mm. and with Hoyland as we know, Victor Hoyland from Norway, you know, the the this group of former collegiate players coming through just looks bulletproof at the moment, which is, you know, very impressive. Um he his game, it's so rock solid. It was so weird to see him blow it on the first playoff or the only playoff hole because his game has just been dynamite for so for his time up now. So, but you know, credit to Berger Andy. I mean, he's now played, I think it's twenty eight consecutive rounds at par or better, the longest streak on the PGA Tour. Um, obviously that. Goes back on the other side of COVID, clearly, but you know he's in. That's really impressive form. You know, it's hard to say. Your smart form analyst would have found him because that's ridiculous in the first tournament back. But that's such good golf. Twenty-eight rounds better than par in a row. Um, he he lost it. I thought he was gone when he was such a dominant player for most of. Got into the top ten, I think, the year that New Jersey held the Presidents Cup. So it must have been twenty seventeen. And he was a really good player for the U.S. there. And he sort of went off the boil. And I thought, oh, we may not see him again. But, oh, geez, he's come back with a bang here. He has, no doubt about that.
1: Even uh, the way, he, um, you know, he got it to what was the tied score. But, you know, hold a decent putt on the, was a 15? Yeah, yeah, 15 under. Hold a uh, great birdie on 18 to, to get it to that even.
2: Yeah. And that's yeah, it's a good point, Stacey. He had to do that to get in. Yeah. And he was he was a foot away. I mean, we, we all talk about Morikawa blowing it with it short miss putt on eight on the first playoff hole, but Berger's approach was a foot away from being six feet away from the hole. And exactly. almost, <laughs> almost almost gimme birdie, you know, so it was that. that must shot.
1: have looked great off the club, oh, like it was oh, like all over it.
2: It was a beautiful shot. So, yeah. no, thoroughly deserved the win despite the fact that we're probably spending more time talking about Morikawa than we are Berger, which is hopefully not misguided. But, um Rory collapsed for you know like fell apart. It was a great leaderboard. Um, I was reading Jeff Shackelford. There was always going to be a lot of people who were keen to see how this tournament in particular went from a TV perspective. First PJ tournament back. Nothing really else to compete with. Uh, depending on which way you want to spin it, uh, the CBS boffins are saying that it was a roaring success. You know, up fifty percent on the Sunday audience from last year. The most watched Sunday of this tournament in the last 16 years, but the national figure was six, which I don't know how to line that up in America, but Jeff Shackleford said it was dismal compared to give, taking into account everything that was um, not, uh, you know, taking place at the time and the build-up to this. Um, Shackleford, who does sit, um, sit outside you know, the vested interest to a large degree, I think he's a, a voice worth listening to when you want to find a, a voice of clarity on these things, he called it a dismal TV rating to begin with. So it'll be interesting to see how the audience comes back. And if you watch that without um, the crowd, without the galleries, it was – it was, I felt flat to me. It felt like a flat experience for me. I don't know what you two thought.
1: Yeah, I, I would say a little bit flat, but when I compare it to, like, watching the footy game or round one of footy, like, I think footy's yep. done a great job here with the sound on the weekend – but I would prefer watching that golf than our round one of footy. I thought there was a bit more to it. Um, But I think, you know, the footy, you use the crowd a lot more than you do the golf. But I think it's, uh, it'd be interesting to get the real honest opinion of the players, you know, on how, if they were like, say a Rory, you know, he obviously was flat as a tackle and just probably whatever, get me out of here. Um, I'd really like to hear the absolute honest from the players. Yeah,
0: actually, you saw a really interesting video that the PGA Tour tweeted out um, in the last 36 hours or so of Justin Thomas, who was a bit of a character around the around the place. Didn't figure in the final analysis, even though he was one of 12 or 15 blokes who could have, would have, should have um, several times. He's caught on camera feigning acknowledgement to the crowd. So he, <laughs> he's he's made a good birdie putt or a good escape shot or whatever, and he he takes the hat off and waves it to the non-existent crowd. And, you know, clearly he's missing it. If if it's in his mind to joke around like that, it's in his. You know, wow, oh, I've just hit a good shot. There's yeah. no roar. That's <laughs> yeah. really yeah, weird. Yeah, and I, I'm not a big fan of the canned noise um on, around the footy or the NRL. Um, I I'm not a fan of it, but I do appreciate that it does give it some sort of ambience. But I'm I'm actually in the other camp. I'm much happier not hearing any bloody mashed potatoes or "You're the man." <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. No, that, that's the that's the bit
2: we can happily do without. So, um, thoughts on um, on the laboratory experiment that continues to be Bryson Deschambeau?
1: Wow, he has been on a good paddock, hasn't he? He has put what he's put on. Gary Woodland has taken off.
2: <laughs> it, it, it's um, he's nice. like, it, he's method acting. Like he's he's really living. He's committing to the role, isn't he? Like,
1: yep. I take my hat you. off Someone. to that. Like he is 110% committing to this and um, what was it? He's working out three times a day, eating massive. But I think the key as well is, uh, well, apparently is how much he's maintaining his flexibility, which is going to be key through this. Like, you know, actually it was, um, yeah, I just think when he's getting massive, massive you know, you've got to be careful on uh, if you're going to be as stiff as a board. Yeah. Mm. Did,
0: you, did you hear the new nickname? No. Bison Dechambeau, oh,
1: perfect, perfect.
0: <laughs> nice. Did you see his driving numbers? Like, I know,
2: I know, it's it's grotesque. You know, but I, I understand that, and and it's much more than just about
0: hitting it a long way. But his numbers were, his driving distances were pretty ridiculous. Yeah, just I mean, his first five drives, I think on Thursday morning were were well in excess of three hundred yards, like well in excess, and okay. it didn't really it didn't really abate from there. So, uh, you know. Those numbers, I'm sort of, I'm sort of like Clates these days. Those numbers mean not, not yep. much anymore. Um, you know, I, but, you know, that's clearly where he's trying to take his game. And if he can be in a game of 1%, if he can be 3 or 4% longer than everyone on tour or off the tee, he's, you know, his, his short game's up when he's, when he's about. He's going to win. It's as simple as that. Yeah.
2: Yep. Uh, anything else? Mark standing by. We'll get to Mark Allen in a moment. Um, anything else in the opening segment before we, we bring our special guest in?
0: No, I think we should get into it. I've right. been waiting for a long time to talk to him, Andy, so we may as well get stuck in.
2: Right, we'll get a quick break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. Mark Allen to join us after this.
1: Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back
2: to the show. He uh, shouldn't have been this difficult to get. I, I know uh, Mark Allen's been on your hit list for about a year and a half now, Hazy, and he is everywhere, this bloke, uh, and we've all been following the travails of him. We're glad to see him upright and healthy and happy, and we finally got Mark Allen on the show. So well done to you, Hazy, and
3: uh, Marco. thanks for coming on Inside the Ropes. Uh, g'day, everybody. I've been a fan of the program for a long time. Just a secret fan. I listen in from time to time. It's It's been fantastic. I reckon you do some great work. So well done, uh, and I think you've got a loyal following, and in my travels, around the place. Um, it does get a mention every once in a while. So well done to you guys. I think it's really good what you're doing. And some of the guests have been fantastic.
2: Oh, well, it's great to have you on. Everybody will want to know how, you, how you're traveling. So give us the Mark Allen health report. How, how
3: uh, are you traveling? Is, is this a, is, is Men's Health Week, you know? It's no it coincidence you've got me on <laughs> Men's Health Week, is it? Is that is that is the way you think? Beautifully timed, Marco. Look, I'm, I'm going well, I mean, I've got every bit of strength back. I've got all my energy back and I feel really human because there were some stages last year um, where I've got to say where I had a colostomy bag hanging off my tummy and probably for about three months I was completely incontinent, which is very embarrassing guys when you, you are a man or a woman and those months were horrendous and, um, but today, to be sitting here, you know, 12 months ago, like I said, 12 months ago, I was, I was right in that wheelhouse and I didn't know how my life was going to turn out. And I say that with every bit of honesty that I've got. I didn't know what was going to happen because I could see myself beating the cancer, or at least beating it for a while, but having to be very abnormal for the rest of my life and I wasn't sure how I was going to handle that. Mm. Um, You know, you look at your kids and you say, well, you better handle it. You better find a way. But, you know, in in quiet times when you're you're out of control, and I gather you know what I mean there, where you have no control, um, and, you you know, you walk past the adult nappies in the, the supermarket and you've got to think about grabbing a pair every once in a while. Those days were horrific um, but somehow my doctors and my surgeons have done the most amazing job. They have. They've done an incredible job. And I can talk to you today, um, and, you know, I'm only going to the toilet once in the morning like everybody else. Uh, and, and like I said, I've, I've just come from two clear CT scans. One of them was a little bit scary. Uh, we got, after, after they cut out the one in my lung here, so I had in the right-hand side of my lung, they cut out 20% of my lung capacity to get rid of bowel cancer that was in my lung. And it was one millimetre away from being inoperable. So it was really close to my arteries, and my windpipes. So once they cut that out, then they decided to do some radiation on the initial tumour that was in my rectum. Um, and that radiation went really, really well and some chemotherapy at the same time. Uh, and then once I recovered from those two, they were, uh, you know, I woke up in intensive care after both those operations and was in intensive care for quite a time after both those operations. Um, once I got half decent, then they gave me some more chemo, which was, you know, and that was the real stuff too, the stuff that goes through through your veins. Anyway, once I'd recovered from that, then we had a CT scan and that CT scan showed that there was another one in the other side of my lungs. So we couldn't believe it. Uh, one, you know, about a week after that, I was in hospital and I got that one cut out from the other side. So I'm down to about 75%. But it's funny just walking around and, and all that kind of stuff. I feel quite normal. If I go, if I start running, I don't feel normal. But if I walk and you know, I can walk eight kilometres, then I feel really normal. So after that I think that was my fifth operation. Um, Once we did that, then we waited three months. We had a test and I got an all clear, which was unreal. And you just wouldn't believe it if I told you. But, you know, you get that first clear scan and you tell people that are close to you about the clear scan. And four days later, we were singing happy birthday to my daughter and my phone started ringing and it was my lung surgeon. And I didn't want to answer the phone because I can't imagine. Anyway, I answered the phone and I said, uh, hello, Philip. And the first thing he said to me, Mark, I don't want you to panic. Oh, what do you reckon you do? Jeez. He <laughs> goes, we have found a spot in your lungs that we cannot rule out cancer. So for three months... And this is after I've told all my friends that I'm okay. Three months in the back of my mind. Now I can't, I'm not going to go back. So I'm not going to go running back and forth, back and forth, telling them I'm okay, I'm not okay. So we we decided not to tell anybody, Trish and I. So for three months in the back of my mind, um, it had come back once after all the chemo and radiation and operations. If it came back twice really quickly, then it's riddled through my body. And I knew I was going to spend a lot of time in hospital at the very best, at the very best. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so that doctor's office, it came back three months later, which was just, you know, four weeks ago. Um, And I'd been feeling so good, you know, so I would have been really shocked. And I'm, you know, I was playing golf. I was playing golf in a golf cart, but at least I was, you know, playing golf and that's always been my barometer for how I've been feeling, my golf and, You know, I was starting to hit the ball pretty well, and I was starting to get my length back and strength back and breath back. I'm thinking, God, it can't be. You know, it couldn't possibly be. And then we had that last CT scan. In fact, it was a PET scan. We had the PET scan, which is the real deal. You know, if you really want to know what's in your body, you have the the PET scan. And he came back and he said that little spot had shrunk. We think it was scar tissue. Hey, Marco, you're all clear. So I have not stopped smiling (laughs) for four weeks, which has been been great. And, you know, now I'm really fine, you know. Everyone's playing golf now, even if you you hadn't had the clubs for a long time. Everyone's playing. So um, I'm playing three times a week, carrying my bags, no toilet stops. And I couldn't be in a better place. And... I'm off plus three. Can you believe it? <laughs> I'm playing too much golf. I'm playing, golf I'm, Marco. I'm playing way too much golf. So <laughs> it's it's unreal. So look, I'm fingers crossed. I don't want to start howling yet because we've got four and a half more years, but I'm feeling really good. Uh, my mind's in a good spot. You know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take on what's next. So Correct. I
0: don't want to harp on, on, on your health, Marco, but it's fair to say that the doctors, I mean, you're a very positive bloke that they may not have had privately the same, you know, optimistic outlook about when you first went in
3: there. Would that be a fair comment? Oh, yeah. No, they, they you know, when they found the one in my rectum, um, it was a four-day wait and they did a PET scan on the rest of my body. And then I was in the car driving somewhere and the phone rang again. And That's when I was told that I was a stage four cancer patient. They'd found one that had to be operated on immediately um, and I pulled the car over, not because I was shocked, I pulled the car over because I wanted to ask our good maid Siri, um, what the chances were for a stage four cancer patient. I said, what's, you know, so hey Siri, tell me about stage four uh, bowel cancer patients. And the information that came up was horrible. 5% of people make five years, 5%, and I imagine You know, that's so. It's one in twenty. Make five years, and then I don't know what after that. I didn't read much more, so I was I was feeling pretty sick about that. And you know, it's amazing what you think of in those moments. So for whatever reason, I started thinking about funeral songs, um, and and then I started thinking about all the. Bad things I'd done in my life for some reason. And it was a mighty list. I can tell you that. It was a belter. And you start wondering, you know, what, you know, you start wondering about that stuff, which is amazing. But my doctor said, come in immediately. So immediately was the next day. And I got in there. And it's a funny story. He said, Mark, I'll put it to you like this because I know you're a golfer. He goes, you're three shots behind in the last round of a tournament, and it's the tournament for your life. And he said, you're playing against a champion. He said, we can't make any mistakes. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this prick knows I've never won a golf tournament in my life. (laughs) 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 Anyway... So, <laughs> so, look, he, he, he made it clear, and to be honest, I can tell you this, my doctors and my surgeons, they didn't make any mistakes. You know, you, you go through hospital and the people that I was next to, and I was next to a whole bunch of them because I spent a long time in hospital last year, you, you soon find out that a lot of people in hospital are there because of complications
2: mm.
3: because these big operations are so big that they don't always work out. They do nick something. You know, they do make a mistake. And I'm just so grateful to the doctors and, and probably even more grateful to the nurses who saw some, you know, crazy stuff when you're stuck in and you've got no control of what's going on. Um, the nurses were amazing. But, you know, I've got my doctors and surgeons to thank. They did a mighty job.
1: Just amazing news, Marco. But, um, yeah, we'll keep everything crossed for you. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, you're like we said before. You know, you're such a positive man. As it is, has it changed your outlook on a lot of things?
3: Um, you know, I, I, I get that question a little bit, and I never know how to answer it because selfishly, I feel really lucky. You know, yeah. selfishly, and it's not like I'm hugging my kids more or hugging my wife more, but I, I am looking to them to um, do more things together, probably.
1: Mm.
3: I don't think we were doing enough things together. And now, you know, we're going to restaurants at night time as a family. You know, the kids are probably at the right age to do that stuff. You know, we're going on holidays next week. A little boy and I are going to go snow skiing on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. So they're the efforts I've made. But, you know, it wasn't like I'm not a born again or anything, Stace. You know, <laughs> nothing like yeah. that's happened. Yeah. And, I still like being a little bit naughty and having the beer here and there, and
1: sure, you know, sure.
3: being a boy, a 51-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but
1: maybe I, more family I, stuff, or yeah. more,
3: more more family stuff has yeah. been has been has been the one. Right, on, mark. Let, let me ask you this question: You're playing yeah. that you're playing that
2: round of golf. You're three shots behind on a Sunday afternoon. Your surgeons talked about, right? yeah. and you're playing and you're playing a three ball. Who are the two blokes that you played? Not not mates, professional golfers who you played with and against. Who are the two blokes you want to be playing with in that round? Who are the two blokes you don't want to
3: be playing with in that round? Uh, In my – I got into the last – there was a tournament in Terry Hills and I was in the last group on the last day and I was playing with Glenn Joyner and Peter Senior. And Glenn Joyner and I, we were so careful, you know. We didn't want to make a mistake. Peter Senior was the champion that the surgeon was talking about. Yep. And he was so free. He was carefree. And Glenn and I were, were trying our best not to make mistakes. And Peter Senior was trying his best not to look like us. <laughs> so Peter Senior's the champion that you want. And, you know, Glenn Joyner, I love you, Glenn. But we were both too careful that day. You know, you want to play someone who's, who's careful, you know. You can still be really free shooting at the centre of the green. And, you know, Pete did that. Um, we were just so careful, you know. Checking, yeah, you put the putter down behind the ball, you look once, twice, straight, is it right? Is it right? Is it right? Is it right? It doesn't work under pressure. Peter Senior is a plonker because he would just walk up and plonk the putter down behind the ball, have one look, and pull the trigger. He he was magnificent. Um, so, you know, of all the people that I saw play, and probably the other one too was Robert Allenby in his heyday. You know, he's had some troubles in Hawaii, Robert. We know that. And he's done some amazing things as well because he has raised, what, over $40 million for mm. kids with cancer. Mm. So you got to always, if you're going to give him a little – Brush, you've always got to say the other one, I think, with Robert. But when he was young and a star, he was amazing. At Royal Melbourne, I shot 70 in the first round, 66 in the second round of the Johnny Walker Classic, and Robert shot 68 and 66. And we were in the last group on Saturday, and it was one of those horrible, shocking Melbourne days. Robert shot 68 and I shot 66 Sorry, I shot 76, so 12 shots worse than what he shot. Sorry, eight shots worse. I'll work it out. But the difference was so – there was one bloke, Robert, who was so confident, and, again, I was the other bloke who was so careful. And, Stace, you know this because you've won tournaments. You know, it's so easy to be wrapped up and start being careful. And careful doesn't often work in your mindset. You can be careful with your game plan – but you can't be careful when you swing the club. You've got to be free, like Peter Senior.
2: So what? So Marco, this fifty-one-year-old bloke who has seen it all and experienced it all now, and watched other people do it, having done it yourself. If you could go back and give your twenty-five-year-old self some advice as a player, what mm. what advice would you give that that golfer? Uh,
3: can I give? Can I go back even ten more? The fifteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The fifteen-year-old was. A quiet kid, but a very golf-arrogant boy. And I didn't think any of the teachers at the time could teach me anything. And I thought that I could outwork everybody on the driving range. Um, And that was wrong when I look back because my technique was very bad. My, My thinking at that stage, I loved Greg Norman and Jack Nicholas and read their books, but I also loved the myth of Ben Hogan and read his book. And in my 15-year-old wisdom, I decided to combine the two. (laughs) So I had Greg Norman's one-piece takeaway. Ben Hogan's, I kept my hips still, didn't have any hip turn whatsoever. And as a 15-year-old, when you're really skinny and flexible, you know, I practiced my way, and I was—I I got to a level in golf where I was pretty proud. When I came back from America, I remember leaving for America. I was last man into the Victorian state team. I was under 21. I was last man into that team. When I came back from America after playing against 75, 80 percent of the world's best unions, I was winning Ivor Witten events by 10 shots. You know, I, I was winning Australian selection events by a mile. I had the lowest handicap in Australia. Um, I was asked to play for Australia and said no because I was turning professional. So in those two years, I was the best amateur golfer in the country. And I'll say that, you know, know—there'll be other people will probably say I wasn't, but I was. I was the best at that stage. Um, and I did that because I was young and flexible. But as soon as I got to 23, 24, and when you're playing every single day and you're practicing into your life, my flexibility left me. And so did my swing plane. And then I was searching from that moment on. From that moment on, I was searching because my flexibility got to a point where my arms just kept on going and I had a really high swing and no shoulder turn. So I lost all my power. And by the time I was 25, compared to the guys who could really play, I hit the ball short and crooked. And that was it. From there, I was chasing my tail from that point forward.
2: And can you ever remember at time in your pro career where that you weren't chasing
3: um yeah the, the, the summer of 92 93 mm. i was i was a 22 year old and before christmas and a 23 year old after christmas and that's when I, I say that because it was about 10 tournaments before christmas and 10 tournaments after christmas <laughs> Uh, and Australia had the greatest mini tour in the whole world. It really was. And all the best players used to come down and play. And uh, I finished sixth in an Australian Open at the Lakes. And I did that. At, at that week, I went to Mike Clayton and I said, Mike, I can't hit the ball. You know, it was really just starting to get there. Mike, I can't hit it. And Mike said, come with me. And we went down and Raymond Floyd was playing that week. And Raymond Floyd had a really funny swing, a really funny swing. Anyway, um, I looked at that swing, and he goes, mate, it doesn't matter if you've got a bad swing. You've just got to have the mindset. And Raymond Floyd, as we all know, had that mindset. He was a killer. He was a killer on the golf course. So I said, all right. And and look, one of my issues was that I had a really high golf swing. So I thought, well, Raymond Floyd, if I take it really back and inside around my ankles, that'll flatten it out a bit. So I did. So I actually (laughs) did. I tried the swing like Raymond Floyd that week. And somehow I've ripped out a decent week. And, you know, my short game, and I'll say this still on blunt my short game when I was young was world class. Mm. And if I had a decent hitting week, then I could hang in. And that week I was the only player in the field. It was a really windy week at the Lakes. I was the only player in the field who didn't shoot over par and I came sixth by myself and won a big check. The next week was that Royal Melbourne week I told you about where I shot 70-66 uh, after... Christmas I played the Australian Masters uh, and that week, the world number one and world number two were playing Greg Norman and Nick Price. Uh, At the Australian Masters I finished fifth and Greg Norman and Nick finished sixth and seventh. So I'd amassed enough money that year to get to the last stage of the US Tour School and I only just missed my card because I got exempt all the way through. It was an amazing pathway back then if you played half decent. I got to the last stage of the US Tour School and I was 13th on the Order of Merit. How about that for a pathway, Dave? Yeah, I mean, amazing, amazing. Yeah, and and then the next year I played on. I think it was the Nike Tour or the Hogan Tour. I think it was called because I just missed my card. So that summer of '92, '93, where I had half an idea of where it was going, um, my short game got me up close enough to where I could sniff what big time golf was all about. It's a hell
2: of a story. It really is. That sense of – sorry, I'm, I'm hogging the microphone here with this point. but when you're playing, Marco, at that level and you're relying on a feel, like a feel about your swing, it's not about the fundamentals. It's about I, I just need to feel it right. How, um, how unsustainable is that? Uh,
3: if you've got poor rhythm, completely unsustainable. So, yeah, rhythm was my keys when I was doing some funky stuff. Yeah, so, and it changed, you know, I was swinging like Roman Floyd before Christmas. After Christmas, I was actually trying to get it across the line at the top because so I'd read an article that Baker Finch wrote that all the good players <laughs> were across the line. So I had my elbows jammed together as close as I could. Ben. Ho- There's a picture in Ben Hogan's Modern Fundamentals of Golf where he's got twine around his forearms. So I had twine around my forearms and trying to cross the line at the top. And somehow that got me into a decent spot. Um, But it was all about rhythm. You know, you get on the first tee, and it was about breathing, you know, in through the nose, out through the mouth, and trying to keep your adrenaline out of your system. Um, And once you hit a couple of good shots where you felt like there was a bit of pressure around, you only had to make one or two decent swings when there was pressure and, you know, you're right. My, my my ego is very easy to inflate, and then <laughs> and then I would actually believe that I was doing the right stuff. So that's the way it how works do you think for me. Those,
1: uh, hey Marco, how do you think those quick uh, swing changes all the time will uh, hold up under pressure?
3: No, no good, no good. <laughs> so it's it's funny because after that look after that year after that summer of '92 '93, Dale Lynch was my coach. I went to Dale and I said, "Come on, Dale. You know the the camera, the video camera had just come out." And
1: oh, way people, back
3: then, yeah, way back then. And you know, the huge he had it on his shoulder. There was actually an article on me, and here's Dale in the background with his channel, <laughs> you know, channel nine camera on his shoulder. <laughs> and this was the new way of teaching pros to play golf. Anyway, um, you know, he, he helped me before that year and he got me going a little bit. And then I went to him and said, Hey, listen, let's do it because if I can hit the ball like these guys, then I was young enough and arrogant enough and had enough money in my pocket to think that I was going to be one of the best players in the world. So I started working in 1994, and I am just getting the hang of those swing changes today, which is great. That's <laughs> yeah, just a hell of a story.
0: Marco, uh, I want to know, like, you, you mentioned before when you you're, you know you were having your life flashing before your eyes about some of the things you'd managed to get up to during these 51 years. You love golf. You've breathed golf, but you've also loved a good time in your life. Which was Mm. more important to you when
3: you were 23, 25? All right. Well, I haven't told too many people this, but that summer of 92, 93, what would you say if I told you that I didn't have a drink for 10 months right through that period? So when I was having a crack, I could do it. You know, I could really do it. Um, I probably started drinking when we started working on my golf swing because, one, I had money in my pocket and it was so frustrating to miss cut after cut after cut or make a cut and then finish 55th and, you know, you've made another loss in the week. And at that stage, you know, I was really lucky because I had Schweppes and some big sponsors, some really big sponsors that were looking after me. Um But, geez, I went through that money so quickly because uh, a good time was important to me. And when I was playing good golf, that was the good time that I loved and everything was easy. But when you're just a nobody during the week and, you, you know, you finish on Sunday at 11.30, the big boys still haven't hit off yet. You know, it's pretty easy just to go to the Spike Bar and have a beer it turns into 16, <laughs> you know, and then you go those where you end up, you know, you end up bloody podium, some nightclub, wherever the hell you've been, you know, trying to work out how you're going to get home and all the, all those sort of things, which is, you know, I don't regret it because it wasn't like I was doing that on a Thursday night or a Friday night of a tournament or before the last round of a tournament when I was playing well, it was only, I used to get up to... Those mischiefy stories that you may have heard, you know, when I wasn't playing so good. Just kept me ticking along, to tell you the truth.
0: So I'm not going to ask you about all the mischief you did get up to, but I do want to know, like, I'm sure you remember this, Marco. You came into the Herald Sun when I used to work there. And I reckon I want to put a year on it, I want to say roughly 2004, five, and you put it to my then sports editor that, you know, you wanted to be a columnist. You wanted to write things about golf that no one else could write because you had a view from the inside and a and a and a desire to sort of not be controversial necessarily but actually tell it like it is, which is rare. Uh, what happened in your mind to realize that you needed to do something different, which
3: has become the second half of your career? Oh, I ran out of money that's that's what happened in two thousand and three. Now, I owed my two biggest sponsors at that stage, Mr. Mastercard and Mr. Visa, 45,000 bucks. <laughs> so it, it's funny, in my one of the proudest things that I ever did, because you know, I'm not sure many people know this, but if you're a PGA member in this country and you go bankrupt, you're no longer a PGA member. They take it off you. So one of the proudest things that I ever did was somehow, and it was with the help of a radio station, SCN, that uh, got me into it. You know, I, I, it's amazing how it worked out because I've I, I I finished out of the top 60 in Australia for the first time in 2003 Um, for the second time actually but I finished outside the top 60 and my thinking was if you couldn't finish in the top 60 in Australia then you were a bona fide hack and I still believe that today on a world scene if you don't finish in the top 60 in Australia you're better off doing something else Mm -hmm. so um, in on the 21st of January 2004 SEN started and Craig Kelly football manager was my golf manager and I got a phone call from him I reckon on the 10th of January he goes hey listen they're talking about doing a golf show on a Wednesday night and they want somebody to do it at the time I was working at 3AW just doing little bits and pieces for them and he said do you want to do it and I said absolutely I want to do it so SEN, the Herald Sun Help from you, Mark, who used to help me a bit, and help from Mike Sheen, who somehow took an interest in me. He was getting free lessons, I think. That's why he took an interest <laughs> in me. Um, you know, Mike really helped, and you, you, everyone helped. Everyone helped me. You know, Andrew Marr helped me. Every, everybody, when I lost, stopped playing golf, helped me. And I'll never forget that, you know, ever. So, so I was lucky.
2: You're an absolute, look. I'm not pissing in your pocket. You're a star, right, when it comes to the media stuff. You're a natural and you're a star. But when you – so it's, it was really easy. It seemed to be a really easy thing for you to turn from playing to, to, to talking. It, was, it looked a really easy transition. But when you make that decision to stop playing, right, I'm, I'm not a – I'm a hack, in your own words. I'm a bona fide hack, which, of course, you're not. But we understand the terms of reference you're using here, right? When you make that decision – to go from one to the other, to turn your back on something that has been your life—how hard! Because it was so—it it looked so easy. The next, the next chapter looked mm. so easy, but I can't imagine for you that that was an easy
3: decision to arrive at. I cried more in December two thousand and three than I cried when I found out I was stage four, Andy. That doesn't surprise me, Marco. That's you know when you work so hard. Stacey, you probably understand this and I can't believe yeah, I'm I can't not. believe yeah. I'm getting emotional about it now. But when you get up at five o'clock and you work your tail off and you wag school and you've got no plan B and you just hope like hell it's gonna work out, and then you get to a certain level and you take a few risks and those risks don't work out, and you look back at all those days and all those nights and putts you've hit and dreams you had, and you say, I've got to stop because I don't want to end up, you know, putting grips on shafts in the back of a factory in Dingley somewhere. Yep. Um, that was, you know, <laughs> I was crying. I was, I was crying. Yep. And I'll tell you what, the next three months I lost the plot. I can tell you that. <laughs> was there more than 16
1: beers yeah, during I that period, know. Yeah, market? I
3: did. Yeah, I did. I did. You lose your way a bit. You do. And, and, and that's, you know, we talk about it, the footballers and, you know, some of the athletes we see when it's time to turn off and when I know exactly what they feel because you do all this without a plan B. And golf of all sports, if you have a plan B when you're a kid, you're not trying hard enough or you're a freak, you know, mm. or you or you you're Tiger Woods or anything else. Those guys were so good, they didn't need a plan B. But if if you are practising like you've got a plan B, then you'll never make it. Mm. You've actually got to practise and work and dream so single-mindedly to get to the top of this golfing period to where you can put your kids through school, you can buy a house, and then when you're 50 years old and unemployable, <laughs> apart from giving lessons, you've got to be right. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, we see, it. you know, there are so many golfers running around with the arse out of their pants these days, it's a real trap. But in saying that, it's a big decision when you quit. And you can say it any way you want. But when you don't pay your tour membership, and you don't take the opportunity to go back to the tour school, that's a red hot quit. It's a hard thing to do. Is there a bit of is
2: there a bit of pre 2003 Mark Allen still in there somewhere? Yep. Yep.
3: Yep. I wanna win <laughs> the Australian PGA seniors championship. I do. Can I you I wanna win it? Can you I imagine? Want
2: to win it. Can you I mean you clearly can, but can you actually imagine if you could if you could find a way of doing that. And at plus three, you're going well. But can you imagine if that happened? Can you, can you project forward to that Sunday afternoon, wherever it is, yeah. and, yep. and looking at the 300 people that are standing in front of you who have been there to watch that and imagine what that would feel like?
3: Without winning a tournament, a professional tournament my whole life, I've often thought about it. And on the 72nd hole, I hope I've got a six-shot bloody lead. Otherwise, I might be in trouble. I may well be in trouble.
1: Might need
3: an oxygen tank as well, I might, Marco. I might. I might. I might. <laughs> not this year. Not this year. I might play in a couple. But next year, I'll have a crack. Yeah. Yeah, big story, Hazy. Oh,
0: oh, oh wow. I mean, some there are very few people that cross over into um you know different realms from their original and main profession but when marco got sick you saw what he meant to a lot of people and you know i i think to answer that question andy it would be monumental for not only mark and his family and all the people who've known him through golf but as we heard so much through jared lyle's story it, to all the people who fought that sort of crap in their life uh and got on top of it that's who that's who it would be for who would make it such a monumental story
3: to me to me yep. Yeah. No, yeah. to a lot of those people who have got sick, but golf has been a wonderful barometer, you know, Kingston Heath and Huntingdale, I can remember growing up, people coming to the golf course and just having a putt, you know.
1: It's
3: been a real barometer for a lot of people when they're crook. And I know Jared was the same. I, and, you know, you talk about Jared. People forget how good he was when he went down. I mean, he, was a, he became a factor in tournaments on the US Tour. I mean, he, he was, and then he, he got... He, he got cooked again. And I remember him going back. Remember him going back to the Masters and hitting off and the tears and stuff? Yeah. You know, it was a real barometer. Yeah, so look, mine aren't like that. But, you know, just being able to walk the golf course with the clubs on my back, that was a barometer. That was a happy day. Huh. Um, and shooting some good scores was a happy day as well. Mark, I want to ask you one broad golf
2: question. We, and It feels insignificant given the magnitude of the conversation we've, ha- we've had with you, and everybody listening would want me to thank you for the emotional honesty and all of the stuff that you've shared with us today. So let me just say that, thanks. But two weeks ago, we had a, a kind of round table, if you like, where we got a whole lot of key stakeholders from the various elements of Australian golf together to give us their views on on what they would do to come out of this COVID period and make, if they had the blank canvas, what would
3: you do to make golf better in Australia? Uh, You've got to give everyone a chance, not the elite. And I've been saying, we spoke about pathways a little while ago. And I know this from interviewing these people before. The European Tour wants our tournaments and our history desperately on their tour. If it was me and we have this blank canvas, this stop, all of the little tournaments... Before Christmas, so PGA's, Queensland PGA, all those, there's probably about a dozen of them. You put them before Christmas and you have a mini order of merit. And the top 30 or 40 players get into the five big ones in February. And those big ones, it would work because they can run against the tournaments in South Africa. The February tournaments can run against the proams on the us tour because they run in february and february is so perfect for golf our golf courses are looking their best we are sick of the cricket we are finished with the tennis the horse racing is done basically in melbourne anyway but you know we've had a big run on the other side and by the way you know you can always listen to the horse racing you can you can do that it's no issue but you have those five tournaments vic open bring back the Australian Masters, Australian Open. Um, Then you've got the Australian PGA. I'd throw New Zealand in there if you somehow get one of the island events back. And then you've got 30 players who have won events or come second before Christmas, red hot, to win one of these five big ones. And guess what if they win? They've got a job for two years, Mm. pathway. And if they don't win, you know, if they come second, then fifth, then second, then fourth, then third, they've got enough money to do stuff. Here's the best bit. The European Tour would love nothing more than to have our smaller tournaments on the Challenge Tour. So those guys in those 12 events, if they, even if they just get enough money to get going, then they've got a tour to play. Mm. Yeah, the Australian Peso and Stacey, you know this: the Australian peso down here lasts five minutes in the northern hemisphere. <laughs> five minutes.
1: Correct. So if you
3: if you've got nowhere to play and no money to play with, you're cooked. But if you've got a place to play, you can roll the dice and keep the dream alive by winning money. Mm. That's the most important thing. I haven't heard of one other suggestion. That comes close to that model because I don't think they understand the model and what it means to young players who have practiced their life away. And you guys have been so good. You know, the Gold Generation hashtag, mm. that Gold Generation was true. And it was a worthy hashtag because we had some gun players, boys and girls, the last 10, 12 years. They didn't have good enough pathways so that we are littered with players on the European tour, stacks of them. And they've got the opportunity then once they're in Europe to get in that top 50. Who was the South African player? There's a South African player who won two tournaments on the Sunshine Coast, went, got his card, bang, won two more. He was in the top 50 and he was a top 50. Hardy. 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 There you go. Bang. He went from playing in the small ones to being a top 50 player in the world because he had a pathway. We've got to get the pathways back to the big time. We've got to get our tournaments with all their history onto the second biggest tour in the world, which is the European Tour. It'll be called the Global Tour one day, I'm sure. That's got to happen. It's got to happen. Well, I'm stoked that you've got the energy to pour into it the way you have.
2: Um, It's great to see you. Thanks for being on the show. I think a lot of people are going to have um, um, very much enjoyed listening to you. Um, and um, we all have. So, mate, thanks for coming on. And absolute pleasure. Keep up the good work. You're looking great, and you're sounding great. And that's um, that's as good as winning a golf tournament, if you ask me. So, um, thanks for coming on, mate. See you guys. Good on thanks, you.
1: Thanks,
2: Marco. Mark Allen joining us on Inside the Ropes.
1: Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, Andy Maher's gone completely mad and we've had to cut him free. So uh, you'll have to just put up with Stacey Peters and myself guiding the ship home from here on. Uh, and we've been joined, Stace, by a man not known to many, I wouldn't imagine, but a man who's doing great things in these COVID times for a lot of golfers who probably isn't even aware that he exists. So I don't mean to say that in a derogatory sense. But Daniel Beard from the Cobden Golf Club, welcome along. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mate, you've, you're an, you're an IT guru, and you and you've come up with a great plan that's been implemented by by many clubs around COVID. But it's got further applications than that.
4: Yeah, it has. It's um, it took off took off pretty quickly. It was just something that we did for the Cobden Golf Club because that's home to me. Um, a small club um, trying to do the right thing by the COVID restrictions. I think we're all pretty nervous leading into the into the lockdown of what we're going to do around tea times and ensuring people come and go at the right times. So I guess extended our club website a little bit just to a very simple little booking system so that the members could simply jump on, pick a square and say that's my spot and know when to
0: turn up. So that's where it started. And the club can identify the golfers, which is mandatory in a lot of different jurisdictions around Australia as well. Yeah, it is, and it's also recording
4: that name and phone number for people who aren't members so that if anyone did come out that played at the club on that day, we had to contact all the other golfers and notify them if
0: something was to happen like that. So what Cobden, just a little tiny uh, town and and course, for that matter, in the yeah. Western District of Victoria. Um, so it started there, but it, 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 it sort of bubbled quickly, didn't it? It went to Tarang and Camperdown nearby, but then further afield. Yeah, it did. It was... Uh, So when the lockdown happened,
4: it had done a test run and it looked like it was going to work. So as soon as we came out and the restrictions were eased and we're allowed to play golf again, we threw it back on the website pretty quickly because we're all excited to play golf on that Saturday. Um, And Terang, Liam from Terang, sort of flipped me a message on Facebook and said, how can you chuck that on our website? Can we get that on the Terang one as well? Um, To which I was a little bit hesitant for starters because it's one of those little intellect things you've done for your little club and... You think it's a, a bit of work involved, but I do it for Cobden for, I guess, just to help out. Um, but then after a, a couple of minutes with him, thought, well, why not? If we throw it up a Terang, probably Camperdown would want something as well. So between the two of us, come up with a catchy name like Booker T and quickly registered bookert.com.au um, and pretty much just picked up the code and threw it on top of that with the allowance for Camperdown and Terrain to jump in and, and create their own T-blocks. Um, so that they could set up for their members so it was really just advice pretty much starting off as just a a members system just to quickly jump on and book a tea spot um, but then word spread pretty quick amongst the WDGA and before you know it Colac and uh, Hamilton and talking to those clubs and then offering to them jumped on board as well so there's probably about eight to ten locally and then it extended to Woodend and uh, Winchelsea now so
1: yeah, it's awesome. a It sounds like, a, uh, sounds like a great concept, Daniel. Well done on uh, coming up with it. If other people want to get involved and stuff, is it simply a matter of going to the website, contacting you? How do they sort of go about it?
4: Yeah, it's just bookatea.com.au. Um, yep. You Google that or Facebook it. Um, it's really, it's just a something to help out the little clubs. Like I know bigger clubs have systems and my club and, and these other great systems, which are fantastic. Yep. But I think our little clubs like Cobden, who only have your 20 to 30 golfers on a Saturday, Um, just a system to help them out um, was where the I guess that's the niche of it um, to help those smaller clubs and and then make it affordable too so trying to trying to make justify you know thousands of dollars on a booking system and for the little clubs is just not fundable.
1: So how are things in the western district Daniel Uh, obviously at Cobden Golf Club I'm sure it's been tough time throughout uh, throughout COVID but how have you guys come out the other end and I guess I feel like we're seeing so many people playing golf right now. Is that, uh, is that the same up there?
4: Yeah, it is, and, and that's where the booking system's gone off, off tap. Yeah. But, yeah, Cobden's going well. It's a, it is a small club. It's been something we're working hard on on getting new golfers, and that's and it's probably another thing to, I'd love to talk about is our junior program, which is, um, which is really, really exciting for our club, something we developed in the last 18 months and going gangbusters too. So the club, uh, yeah, going pretty well.
1: Great, so good it? to hear. And, yeah, I was going to say, do you want to yeah, expand on this, uh, on the juniors?
4: Yeah, so the junior program we developed um, term four, so that would have been two years ago. Um, is The idea of it is, is we just make it free to all kids to come and play golf on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. So it's absolutely free. Um, luckily, we get clubs through the My Golf program and that sort of stuff. So the kids come along for free, and what we do is we play five holes, but it's a modified format. So it's a bit like the kids' amateurs in the US that they play where there's things, rules like some days we'll have the blue marker at 150, the yellow at 120, and the red back at its normal spot. And depending on their their ability, they start on different colour tees. Get to put the driver in, hit the driver, wherever their ball goes. um, If it goes off into the trees, they always try it back out in the fairway at the distance. So always playing their shots from the fairway. And then we just make the green literally the hole. So... If it's a par four, and we've got right down to five and six-year-olds doing it, um, they're only hitting in from 100 metres, four shots, if they can keep it on the green in four, we tell them they've just got a par. They get excited. Mum and dad gets excited. um, Tick them off as a par. Um, If the kids can get on in three, so literally we'll just say, okay, everyone circle up. This kid's now having a putt for a real par, and they'll putt it to the hole. So we've had kids who, in, in amongst it all, have actually got real pars, and it's huge enjoyment. It's actually playing the game of golf. We find the kids are getting way more out of that than and nothing against sitting there hitting seven irons, 107 irons for an hour, but actually playing and hitting drivers. And even if it doesn't go that well, as long as it goes somewhere, they get to throw it back out in the fairway. Um, and in the first turn, we had 60 kids go through, which for a little town of Cobden um, has been fantastic. And we're lucky enough that we have been left a little bit of money by a, someone who, do, who passed away in the club, but that's to go to junior development. So after the, after the round, we give all the kids hot chips and a soft drink and get them in the clubhouse so that they all come in. So 30 to 40 kids at once, they get used to the clubhouse and it breaks down that stigma of, oh, that's a members-only golfy thing. And then parents come in and sit and we'll give them some of the chips and that as well. So over that 18 months, we've got kids now who just roll through on a Saturday afternoon, they're out chipping balls and come in and talk to the old guys. And then general golfers are loving the kids being around. It's been fantastic.
1: That's awesome, Daniel. Really good, really good. And if you had from this, do you think like, I guess the kids would join up or family members join up or how is sort of, how do you see it or how has it gone so far? Yeah, so
4: we're lucky. We then use a bit of that uh, Frank Hodson money to pay their membership.
1: Uh, awesome.
4: I think you could, you could make it a really cheap one off the back of it. We've had four and five kids turn into Sunday Arvo comp golfers, which we play red tee comp on a Sunday to give them the next step. So yep. everyone's got the red tees. Um, so kids play the ones that come out of the junior system, then play with the adults. And then we've had now four or five that transition to Saturday golf.
0: And not only that, it's it's just said, Daniel, that you told me yesterday, I think that um, some of the kids now have brought their parents along and other family members along.
4: Yeah, and parents walk around for the five holes because it's only an hour and a half. We literally send them off and then once it hits 12 o'clock, they all walk back to the clubhouse for their chips. So it's not (laughs) very long. And they won't
1: be late for that. (laughs) They
4: won't be late for that. (laughs) Although some kids want to try and sneak another hole in. (laughs) They're pretty good at having a crack at it. But, yeah, just little things like that, making it fun. And it's been a real winner.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome, Daniel. I won't hold you up too long. I know you've got a job to tend to there in Camperdown, but um, we really appreciate your time. We're really thrilled to hear what um, you know, Cobden's doing. And these are the sort of stories we, we hope to spread right around the country. Um, appreciate your time, mate. And thanks and well done. So au. That's the one. That's the one. And, uh, thanks for having all, me on, guys. No course. worries. And for all clubs, do what Cobden did there with the juniors or something similar. That, that'd be fantastic. Thanks again, Daniel. Thanks for having me. How good that, Stace? Like just to, you know, from simple ideas, um, you know, big things can grow.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome to see. And a little, uh, you know, we're obviously little favourites of the Western District. Hazy, aren't we? But we can't take sides there. But no, it was good good, uh, good to have him on.
0: You're a favourite. I'm just a past resident, that's all. Oh,
1: no, no, no. No, they've got a soft spot in our heart. Yes. Oh, absolutely, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes. Uh, now, speaking of soft spots in hearts, um, probably a bad segue, but I, I've, we all know that um, everyone on Inside the Ropes and at Golf Australia has been very enamoured by what goes on with the young, uh, I say elite golfers in Perth and in, around WA more generally. Uh, and there's a couple of amazing things coming up. Uh, at Gosnell's Golf Club this week, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, Stace, or not, but Gosnell's little, um, I, think it's, um, the, I think it's in Canningvale from memory, uh, beautiful club south uh, east of Perth, not for, not very far from the city. Um, they're having a, a little tournament this week where Hannah Green, uh, Jared Felton, Madison Hinson-Tolchard, and young Hosiah Gilbert, um, who's um, an up-and-coming player in the WA junior team, uh, they're all going out on Friday, this Friday. We're recording this on Tuesday, so if you're listening to it later, I apologize, but from Gosnell's, at Gosnell's Golf Club, 2 p.m. Western time this Friday. Get out there. It's a charity shootout. Uh, to raise money for the right family, so it's it's an amazing thing they're doing. Um, how good girls, how,
1: girls against boys? Yeah,
0: I think it's girls against boys. Yeah, I'm not 100 sure. It. I'm
1: pretty sure it's girls against boys. Yeah,
0: I mean this is it. an LPGA tour champion, a major champion, obviously in Hannah Jared Felton, uh, you know, a winner on the Australian PGA tour, Maddie, former Australian junior champion, you know, really decorated WA state player already, and Josiah yep. just coming up through the ranks. Um, it's it's a great thing. I I understand. That's through, um, pardon me, while I do some research on air here, Stace, (laughs) but um, Scott McLean is the pro there at Gosnells, and he's the driving force behind it. Uh, I think Jared and Josiah both work in the pro shop there with Scott at Gosnells. So, you know, he's the driving force. He's put up $500 as a donation himself. The club's matched it, and money's going to Luke the Duck uh, which we all know through um, Challenge Cancer, yep. and also the Wright family, um, and and the the you know just they've had a um, an instance as we heard before with Marco, they've had an instance with, with um, family illness and cancer, and I think this is the best way to um, you know highlight things and get some money rolling around for yeah. a great great charity, and it's that's a huge cause, and just how good for these WA kids to continue to keep giving.
1: Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And, I mean, it's awesome from the club pro, awesome from the club. I mean, Maddie's involved with uh, Gosnell's as well. But, I mean, and awesome for these kids or players, um, you know, to want to get out there and do this. And I'm sure they'll be taking it as serious as. Do you think Hannah wants to lose to Phelps? Oh, are there's, you
0: <laughs> there's no way that she's going to roll no over there. That's no uh, chance at all.
1: Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And, actually, I think they're, Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Hazy, but I think they're live streaming it.
0: Yes, uh, they are.
1: So I will definitely be tuning into that one.
0: Yeah, check through the social media. You'll be able to find it through um, Jared and Hannah's social media and Gosnell's Golf Club itself. Um, And another thing while we're at it, rolling away in WA, and I'm going to try to get uh, Catherine Norris and maybe even Scott McLean on next week to talk about both those things. So Scott from Gosnell's. But another really promising WA amateur, Catherine Norris, is organising a Birdies for Breast Cancer Challenge in support of her mum, Linda. Uh, who's been diagnosed with the illness. Uh, so they're trying to do that coming up in July on the 5th of July at the Cut. Um also and Green is
1: involved uh, with that as well. So yeah. yeah, hats off to Catherine for you know getting out there and doing something like this. Yeah, Obviously think, close to her heart, but yeah, it's uh, you know still takes a huge effort to organize it.
0: And we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Catherine about this um, hopefully next week. I can't guarantee that yet. I haven't spoken to her, but I'm, she'll, she'll come on with, I'm, with us, I'm sure. So, again, Catherine in this instance with Hannah, Jared, Braden Becker, uh, Hayden Hopewell, Hayden Barron. Um, look, it's just the core of just awesome people, not just golfers in WA. Yeah. It just it, They're really to be commended. So we'll put up um, – there's a story that Kirstie Rice has done on the Golf Australia website, golf.org.au, about that one. We'll follow through in the next couple of weeks how you can help along with that one as well. But for this Friday, tune into Gosnell's Golf Club. Um, It's going to be a great fundraiser there for a really good couple of causes. Anything else you want to bring to the table, Stace?
1: Um, No, I don't think I've got anything else, Stacey. We've covered off quite a bit today.
0: I've got an odd one for you just to think about as we leave. Do you know that we're recording this on Tuesday and then tomorrow our time, uh, so Tuesday in the United States, someone turns 50. Guess who that might be?
1: In the no. United States.
0: Yeah, I don't want any dead air here for too long, so don't think about it for too long. But
1: Yeah, sorry. Okay, it doesn't come to me right away.
0: Phil Mickelson turns 50.
1: Is that right?
0: Now, have you ever You know thought, what that means? Well, it means he's eligible for the seniors tour. Yes. Can you imagine? Uh, well, I don't know if he'd have the fire in the belly to go and compete on the seniors tour. I don't know. Maybe if there's a few money games in pro-ams, I don't know. But uh, don't know. what a... An amazing effort. When you think back to Jack Nicholas winning the '86 Masters at 46, and it was a freak show. Yep. And you know, no one's managed to do much similar to that. Um, you know, in recent years, I suppose um, we've seen a couple of outliers, and Bernard Langer's being close in a couple of things. Rod Pampling won in the late his late 40s, but it's very rare to see someone uh, at that age being still a force. He's not as not as once he was, but, you know, a five-time major champion who's got those wins in his recent rearview mirror. It's pretty amazing. 50, dirty Phil. That's pretty
1: impressive. I actually, I didn't know that. Do you think we will see him tee up on the seniors? I don't know.
0: What do you think? I think he still enjoys golf.
1: Well, yes, but I think he would, he's, I think he would still believe that he could win on the PGA Tour. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't see him playing seniors yet.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think – maybe he goes and tries to peg it up and win a couple of the bigger events. Yeah. Um, you know, just yeah, – Maybe to, the
1: majors or I don't know. Do you just get into those? I don't I don't know how that works, but
0: – No, I'm I'm unaware of the process for that too. I'm not sure if he needs to apply or be automatically yeah. – because he's got five major championships, maybe he has automatic entry, but
1: – Yeah, I'm not sure actually. I know it, it is quite strict criteria on getting – I'm sure five majors get you in whatever you want. But, um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure of criteria actually, Yeah.
0: But fascinating to think because if you don't actually, you know, do the maths in your head, you think he doesn't appear 50 physically. Like he still hits it a long way. He's flexible enough to do all his short game wizardry. We have talked about flexibility a fair bit during this podcast. (laughs) Uh, um, But, yeah, he he doesn't appear to be 50. So it would be fascinating if he could rewrite history here one day because if anyone's got it, he's got the, you know, the magic in his hands still to do it. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. I've given him a few sprays in the podcast over the years today, so I better say happy birthday, Phil. Well done. Yeah, workplace.
1: what about the shades? He tried to rock last week. I don't know about that. I didn't see them. Yeah, there was like some aviator glasses those first <laughs> couple of days. It wasn't uh, – I don't know if it was for a 49-year-old. I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> well, he's 50 now, so maybe it's even worse.
1: Yeah. Well, by the
0: time, And I know he's a regular listener, so by the time he gets 50, to- <laughs> he will be 50.
1: Thanks, Phil. We love yeah. you.
0: Yep. So big show! Thank you very much, Stacey Peters. Appreciate your time as ever. Back to back, I might might even uh, extend that out next week. You could get the hatch. Oh,
1: ease up, ease up! I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. <laughs> uh,
0: big thanks to Justin Falconer in the uh, the central commentary position. I suppose we'll call it in the in the back hub corner, HQ, making it all tick for us. Andy Marr. Big thanks to, um, of course, Mark Allen, who um, I don't know. He's just so honest and. Brilliant with yeah, his storytelling. Cool. Obviously, he's a good talent in the media department, but to tell your story, own story and get a tear in the eye, put a lump in your throat, and we appreciate his time. And, of course, Daniel Beard there from the Mighty Cobden Golf Club. Thank you, one and all.
1: That's- good job, Hazy. Good, Good work there, mate.
0: Thank you. Episode 168. We'll be back next week to do it all again.